The views and opinions expressed on this show are purely the views and opinions of the person who made them and do not necessarily reflect or agree with those of the show's commercial sponsors, its radio station affiliates, or Internet broadcast platforms. As the restriction on our God-given right to free speech manifests itself throughout the world, we are inspired by Jesus Christ's immortal words, and ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. And we reserve the rights to all our words. Thank you, and now enjoy the show. Learn who rules over you, simply find out who you are not allowed to criticise. You are listening to ACH, I'm Andy, your host, and before we start today's show, I would like to thank Marty for the recent donation. Thank you, Marty. If you are able to help keep the show on the air, please go to achshow.com and click the banner on the menu bar. And uh, today is Thursday, so of course it's time for our weekly visit with my good friend Dr. Peter Hammond. So let's bring him up right now. Peter, are you with us? I am with you. Thank you, Andrew. Thank you so much, Peter. And uh, extremely topical today, current affairs base, because the title of the show that Peter has come up with today is The Real Story Behind the Ukraine Crisis. So, Peter, where would you like to start us off today? Well, we've been told that we could have a war any time now with Russia over Ukraine. And Uh, There's a lot of saber rattling going on around here. And I think it's so important to understand the background to this because many people uh, would have trouble even finding Ukraine on the map, uh, sadly. And I recall back in 2013, I was in the United States. And at that stage, Obama was talking about war with Russia over Ukraine. And there was a lot of nonsense carrying on there. And I was surprised how many conservative Americans were enthusiastic to bomb Russia, go to war with Russia, with all the inherent risks of nuclear war and so on that that would involve, um, because of the riots going on in Ukraine. Now, at that time, uh, it it was extraordinary uh, when it suddenly came out that In fact, the CIA had been involved in toppling the pro-Russian president of Ukraine and the elected government that had been um, an ally of of Russia and basically uh, through revolution on the streets, bringing to power a government that has proven to be phenomenally corrupt, uh, see the Hunter Biden relationship with Ukraine, but uh, a, a country that next thing wanted to move out of the Russian sphere of influence into the European Union, even discussing the possibility of having the euro or the euro as its currency, uh, discussing joining NATO, becoming a partner of NATO. And you can imagine that that was considered extremely provocative and threatening to Russia, especially if you do look at the map and you see how much of Ukraine's border borders Russia and how close uh, to Russia's capital the Ukraine border is and how much of Ukraine is actually uh, providing agricultural support for even Russia, the trade there. So 
if you put it this way, imagine if Russia was meddling in Canada. Um, you know, I, I know they don't exactly have a good government in Canada. But, uh, imagine if if Canada was openly moving into an alliance with with Russia of today. Um, or Mexico, for that matter. You know, what the United States thinks that's a good idea. In 1962, America was willing to go to the brink of threatening nuclear war over Russia putting bases and missiles in Cuba. And uh, if you can think how America quite rightly resisted that and objected that, you know, you're interfering in our sphere of influence, does Russia not have the right to question the meddling of other countries, including NATO and the CIA, uh, in uh, toppling a once friendly government in Ukraine, uh, and um, now Ukraine moving into alliance with NATO. And so the continual expansion of NATO eastwards, which now includes a lot of countries which used to be allied to Russia, it's intriguing because I think people need to understand the history and understand how in the past, you had all these same leftists and mainstream media justifying Russia controlling the whole of Eastern Europe, including Latvia, Lithuania, Estonia, Poland, Germany, East Germany, Czech, Slovakia, Hungary, Romania, Bulgaria, all the way along. Russian troops could be in all those places and it was justified because Russia legitimately needed buffer states to protect themselves from Europe. And uh, that was what the liberals were saying during the Cold War. But now that Russia is no longer communist and Russia's pursuing an orthodox Christian position and pro-family and anti-abortion and anti-LGBTQ, pro-family and so on, now suddenly um, Russia doesn't need any uh, defensive perimeters apparently. And you can even go and take countries that were once part of the Russian Federation like the Ukraine and make them an ally of NATO, which is continually expanding. And uh, when you look at the balance of forces, it's actually quite intriguing because NATO's got vastly more troops, vastly more weaponry than Russia does. And uh, it's not, in this case, the case of the big bad bear uh, threatening and uh, the um, uh, NATO troops being the minority. In fact, NATO has 3.448 million 3.48 million active troops. Russia has 771,000 active troops at this moment. So uh, the the whole uh, ethos and the balance of power right now is being threatened by European Union, NATO, and CIA meddling in Ukraine and threatening to move NATO bases into Ukraine. It's also strange that we have a whole lot of media in America who don't care about America's borders. America's borders... Um, are not important, but Ukraine's borders are very important. And uh, the sovereign uh, sovereignty and the integrity and the border and the integrity of the borders of Ukraine is worth going to war for. But if you want to have protection of America's southern border, then you're a racist, fascist, bigot, uh, narrow-minded, tinfoil-wearing conspiracy theorist, and so on. Also interesting is hearing CNN and others speaking about their fear that Putin may organize a false flag operation, which makes it look like Russia's been invaded by Ukraine to justify Russia invading Ukraine. Now, just a minute, false flag. I mean, isn't, according to CNN and uh, the mainstream, lamestream media and the left uh, in America and the Biden administration, anyone who believes in false flags is a conspiracy theorist and is a fascist, right-wing extremist, lunatic, tinfoil-wearing, and so on and so forth, bigots. And 
Yet now they are putting forward a theory that a false flags are about to be caused by Russia in order to justify invading Ukraine. Now, we know false flags happen, and we know that governments organize false flags, and we've actually done a program just on false flags, and there's a, a big history of that. But to understand the crisis in Ukraine, we, we need to understand the history. Alexander Solzhenitsyn declared, if we do not know our own history, we will simply have to endure the same mistakes, sacrifices, and absurdities all over again. And remember, when it comes to communists, there's nothing they respect more than strength. There's nothing they despise more than weakness. And I've served the persecuted church throughout Africa and Eastern Europe, and I've had the privilege of traveling and ministering throughout East Germany, Hungary, Yugoslavia, Poland, Czechoslovakia, Romania, Bulgaria, Albania, before the Iron Curtain came down and afterwards. And I have many friends in Eastern Europe and in Ukraine and Russians um, who I've maintained good contacts with and I've been kept informed. And also during the war in Mozambique, I was captured by communist forces in 1989, including Russian forces in MI8 HIP helicopters and uh, escorted by Russian Antonov 26 later to Mashava security prison in Maputo. And so I've experienced Russians firsthand and generally speaking, for most of my life, Russia's been our enemy because they were the heart of, of the communist revolution. But during those years, the leftists didn't regard the Soviet Union as a threat or a problem, and they were, in fact, apologists for them. But since Russia has thrown off the communist yoke and pulled down the red Hammond sickle flag and put up uh, the uh, beautiful white, blue, red flag of, of Russia, and uh, they have again opened their churches and allowed freedom of religion. Uh, since then, since Russia became pro-life and pro-family and uh, orthodox Christian, suddenly Russia is a great threat to world peace. And that according to the same people who were apologists for the communist dictators under Joseph Stalin. We need to understand the hypocrisy of, of uh, the West towards Europe. Uh, just to give a bit of a spiritual background, Patrick Johnson, one of the world's greatest missiologists, who's a good friend and member of our board, and uh, he's been in our boardroom and uh, uh, challenged me. Now, he's the one who publishes Operation World, which is eight editions, 15 languages, something like 15 million copies sold. These are the definitive summaries in every country in the world from a spiritual point of view. And he asked me back several years ago, Peter, do you know which country in Europe has the most evangelical, Bible-believing, born-again Christians. said, in terms of numbers, not percentage, but numbers. I hesitate for a minute. He said Russia. There's more Bible-believing, born-again Christians in Russia than any other country in Europe. Which country in Europe has the second largest number of evangelical, born-again Christians? I hesitate, but he said Ukraine. Third largest? I guess that Romania. Well, interesting that the spiritual life in Europe has changed so dramatically that there's more Christians now behind what used to be the Iron Curtain than in what used to be called the free Western world. And this is something that we should be concerned about. Now, there's a lot of Christians in Russia. There's a lot of Christians in Ukraine. And a war between the two would be a great tragedy. But my friends in Ukraine remind me that the American government is extremely hypocritical, considering that they betrayed over 100 million Christians in Eastern Europe to Stalin's Soviet Union through the Yalta Agreement of 1945. Considering that Ukraine was freed by Germany in 1917, and that this independence was recognized even by Vladimir Lenin's Soviet Union in the Brest-Litovsk Treaty of March 1918, 
and that the Allies at the Versailles Treaty betrayed Ukraine back into the hands of the Soviet Union. I mean, imagine that. 1918, Ukraine was free, Christian. And yet, millions of Ukrainians were betrayed by the Versailles Treaty and by the Allies who forced the German troops to withdraw from protecting Ukraine and let the Soviet Union take it over, tear up the Brest-Litovsk Treaty of March 1918, which enabled all these countries, like also Ukraine, Belarus, to fall under communism. Uh, absolutely hideous. Uh, when, when you think of, of the consequences of the Versailles Treaty for the poor people in Ukraine, millions died. Something like 10 to 11 million died in the Holodomor, which is the plague by hunger, the enforced hunger campaign enforced in 1930s by Joseph Stalin. If anyone wants to know uh, more about that, they can either uh, Google Holodomor or they can see the film A Bitter Harvest, uh, which was produced to dramatize the hideous uh, massacre, genocide of the Christians in Ukraine by Joseph Stalin's uh, KGB, or then they were called the NKVD back in 1930s. But considering that they had been betrayed already in 1918 by the Allies, Ukraine was then liberated by Germany in 1941, World War II. And then they were betrayed by the Allies through Lend-Lease, which sent billions of dollars worth of the best weaponry the West had to offer, including over a thousand Spitfires from England, 4,000 Hurricanes from England, and tens of thousands of bombers and fighters and tens of thousands of tanks and vast amounts of other aid was poured into the Soviet Union to save the Soviet Union from Operation Barbarossa in 1941. And so our friends in Eastern Europe point out to us that without the extravagant support of the United States, the United Kingdom and Canada, Stalin's Soviet Union could not have even survived Operation Barbarossa in 1941, even before America entered World War II officially. Vast quantities of military hardware were being flown, shipped, trucked into Russia via Alaska, via Persia, which was invaded by Britain and America in order to provide a southern uh, route for sending up uh, weaponry into the Soviet Union to help them survive. Uh, Persia, what today is called Iran, invaded a neutral country invaded by Britain and America in 1941 in order to supply military hardware to the Soviet Union. The Soviet Union received official list, just from the United States, not counting Canada and Britain yet. From 1941, the United States sent 7,000 tanks, 14,000 military aircraft, 51,000 jeeps, 375,000 trucks, 35,000 motorcycles, 8,000 tractors, 8,000 artillery pieces, 131,000 machine guns, 345,000 tons of explosives, 1,980 locomotives, 90 cargo ships, four and a half million tons of food supply, four and a half million tons of food supplies, one billion dollars of machines and equipment in addition, plus 2.67 million tons of petroleum products, 49,000 tons of leather, 3.7 million tires, 15 and a half million pairs of army boots, 106 million tons of cotton, that's a lot of cotton, and building equipment valued at over over $10 billion, another 102,000 tons of non-iron metals, along with 29 oil tankers, 433 combat ships, mobile bridges, railway equipment, aircraft equipment, vast amounts of other items. And this doesn't even include the generous aid given by Great Britain to the Soviet Union, 5,800 aircraft, 
4,292 tanks, 12 minesweepers. That's from Britain. We thought Britain was overwhelmed and undersupplied, but apparently they could give a lot to Joseph Stalin. Canada supplied the Soviet Union with another 1,100 tanks, 842 armored cars, a million artillery shells, and 208,000 tons of wheat and flour. All this from the arsenal for democracy to help the worst dictatorship and the most anti-Christian genocidal maniac regime in the history of the world, Joseph Stalin's Soviet Union. So you can understand why my friends in Ukraine are <laughs> highly suspicious of the good intentions of the West. The Ukrainians point out that their soldiers were fighting for freedom and independence, not only throughout the Second World War, but for 10 years after the conclusion of World War II, Ukrainian army units were fighting up to even company level with field artillery fighting valiantly against Soviet oppression as late as 1955, 10 years after World War II concluded. Yet they never received any support from the Allies. They did not get a bullet, a bandage, a button, nothing from uh, the West. All that aid went to Stalin's Soviet Union, the communists, the Red Army, to oppress the Ukrainians. But the Ukrainians were fighting for freedom. And nobody seemed to care about Ukraine's territorial sovereignty and integrity back then in 1945, just like that, and cared in 1917, 1918 either. But no aid was supplied to the Ukrainian freedom fighters or to the Lithuanian forces. And the Lithuanian forces in the Baltic were fighting the most brutal dictatorship in history. As late as 1954, they had up to platoon levels, the Forest Brothers fighting against Soviet Union. So our friends in Ukraine and Latvia, Lithuania, Estonia, they're very cynical about what NATO, the EU, and the US are involved now, interfering in the Ukraine-Russian conflict. And uh, my Russian friends have pointed out there's no way that President Vladimir Putin can allow Russia's only ice-free port in the Crimea, which of course is on the Black Sea, to fall under control of the Russian Federation. Mamansk is up in the Arctic Circle, is under ice most of the year. Vladivostok on the Pacific is frozen up with ice half the year. The Russian Navy's only ice-free ports are in the Crimea. And so to compare what's at stake, consider what Americans would think of California with the strategic San Diego naval base or Virginia with Norfolk's strategic naval base were to secede and be affiliated with Russia. I mean, how acceptable would that be? So it's understandable that Russia would want to protect their interests. Uh, bear in mind also that in Ukraine are many, many Russians. There are areas in Ukraine with a vast majority of, of Russian uh, citizens. Now, you may ask them what they're doing in Ukraine. Well, the borders of Ukraine were extended unilaterally without any referendum, without any um, elections, without seeing what the people on, on the ground thought by the Ukrainian dictator Khrushchev. Now, now Khrushchev, who was the Soviet dictator at one time, was actually from Ukraine. And during his tenure as dictator or chairman of the Soviet Union, he just arbitrarily extended Ukraine's borders to and suddenly include not only the, um, not only um, Crimea, but also Donetsk and Kharkov, uh, with its majority Russian population. So it's quite understandable that there's Russian separatists in these areas saying no, um, we we would really uh, like to stay part of Russia. I mean, you know, Rostov, Donetsk, uh, these are areas where where there's a majority Russian population, and if they were given the chance. Uh, they have made very clear uh, that they want to stay with Russia, just as Crimea voted overwhelmingly to stay uh, within Russia and that Crimea 
was Russian since the 1700s when Russia liberated it from Turkey, from Ottoman Turkish Empire. So uh, people need to understand this history because all this is relevant uh, to what is going on here. We've got Russian majority uh, in the Luhansk and Donetsk uh, regions, and we've got a massive Russian majority in Crimea as well. So understanding these situations, and there's, there's also other areas like Krakow, which have got, in fact, also a majority of Russians, but, but around 60% or so. Um, and you can understand why they are saying, well, if you're going to ally with NATO and not be uh, allied with Russia, then we would rather be part of Russia. Thank you. And so a lot of the un upheaval, unrest, uh, tension going on in Ukraine is a direct result of Western meddling and of NATO's expansion. Now, NATO's primary role was to counter the a whole Warsaw Pact, and there was a good reason for NATO, and, and NATO did hold the line and served its purpose very well to the end of the Cold War. But since the end of the Soviet Union and the dissolving of the Warsaw Pact and the freeing of Eastern Europe and the coming down the Berlin Wall and the Iron Curtain, NATO's had less clear uh, purpose. And the fact that they've expanded so much into Russia's backyard that they're even talking about Ukraine being a partner and maybe even a full member, uh, this should make people extremely uh, concerned and say, is this really wise? And so uh, Patrick Buchanan has dealt with the consequences of short-sighted policies and double standards in this book, A Republic, Not an Empire. And also in his book, Churchill, Hitler, and Unnecessary War, How Britain Lost to Empire and the West Lost the World, which we have dealt with in a previous ACH program. But in his books, Patrick Buchanan points out that, that Russia uh, is now producing more oil than any other country on earth. And with the price of oil that translates to massive earnings, Russia's the second largest oil export in the world. And the United States is the largest oil importer on the earth, followed by China. And Russia today produces more natural gas than any other country. And Russia supplies 34% of Europe's natural gas requirements. And I think it's increasing. While the United States debt is greater than its gross domestic product, well over 100%. Russia's debt is only about 8% of its gross domestic product. And while the United States has a trade deficit of more than 500 billion a year, much more than that, I think that's an old stat, Russia consistently runs a large trade surplus. So Russia is exporting more than importing. America is importing more than it's exporting. While the United States unemployment is actually quite high, Russia's unemployment is less. And since Vladimir Putin became president of Russia, the Russian GDP has doubled trebled. In fact, Russia today is rated as, I think, the sixth largest economy in the world. Industry in Russia has grown tremendously over recent years. In fact, uh, since Putin took over about 20 years ago, Russia's investments have multiplied many times over. The average salary has increased over 800%. Middle class, class has grown from over 8 million to over 55 million. People living below the poverty line have decreased dramatically. And Russia's added hundreds of metric tons of gold to the reserves over the last two decades. And it's pretty serious when the Russians are warning Americans about the dangers of socialism. So Christians in Russia have also expressed their shock at how America has become a new evil empire, promoting abortion, privileges for perverts with an aggressive pro-homosexual agenda, bullying African governments to legalize abortion and homosexuality, sending generous aid to radical Middle Eastern governments all of which severely persecute the Christian church. 
And it seems that most Americans and Europeans are oblivious to the devastating consequence of their State Department's and the EU's foreign policies. The bombing and burning of churches in the Middle East that followed the Arab Spring was in so many ways funded and fueled by US State Department policy and by EU policy and NATO bombing Libya and creating a vacuum into which ISIS and other radical movements have come. The devastation of Christians in Iraq and in Libya, uh, in Iraq, for example, under dictator Saddam Hussein, Christians were actually protected. But now under the Islamic democracy installed by American forces, Christians are severely persecuted. More than a million Christians have fled Iraq since 2003, and these realities are seldom understood in America. And U.S. governments channeling aid to al-Qaeda-affiliated Islamic jihadists in Syria, who've been viciously persecuting Christians in areas where they control. And the secular military dictatorship of Assad has left Christians alone. In fact, Christians at 6% of the population of Syria, the Christians of Syria are, in fact, one of the best protected, freest Christians in the whole of the Middle East. And there's a very high percentage of Christians in the military of Assad in Syria because they know that the only thing standing between them and being beheaded by ISIS is Assad's government and, and military. And so you can see many pictures of, of uh, Assad in churches and uh, Assyria, Assyrian soldiers in churches in Syria. And to think that the U.S. is supporting Islamic insurgents like ISIS, turning Syria into catastrophic bloodbath, and the only thing that stopped Syria from being toppled into ISIS's hands was Russia's military intervention, which saved them. Now, here's uh, a man writing in Pravda in Russia, Xavier Lerma, in Moscow, he wrote, Ronald Reagan called the Soviet Union the evil empire, and rightly so. The Soviet Union was the Russian people held hostage by the communists. Putin and Reagan listened to Alexander Solzhenitsyn. Those who listen to elders tend to be wiser. Vladimir Putin is allowing Christianity to flourish, unlike liberals in America, who have their own warped idea of freedom from God and a denial of evil's existence in the world. There is a reason why most public schools in America do not teach the Bolshevik revolution and its true consequences. There are people in the West that want to remove everything related to Christ from public view, just as the Bolsheviks did during the Soviet enslavement of Russia. 21st century Russia is proof that Christianity can prevail against darkness and confusion. Today, the liberals who control the West fear Vladimir Putin, as though doomsday was tomorrow. It is not a nuclear threat, but rather a spiritual renewal that threatens them. It's not Putin, but Russia's Christianity that they fear. Rather, it's Christ they truly fear and hate. They've tried to persuade Americans by scaring everyone with the ideas of Putin, as the evil KJB out to destroy the world. They demonize Putin, not because it is our world, but it is their liberal world that is in danger of being destroyed. How can conservative media sources in America who claim to be Christians ignore their Christian brothers in Russia who are now successful? The martyrs they're ignoring, the blood of the martyrs that was shed to restore the Christian church in Russia, they are ignoring. They are con artists playing the conservative side as fools while the liberals enslave the rest. Devout Christian Russians are on the march, not like the communist Soviet Union who spread wars like Obama and the United States have been doing now. These Russians are like disciples of Christ who lovingly reach out to their brothers and sisters, helping men and women in darkness, enslaved by materialist society who truly need of Christ. Now, all that I'm quoting from Xavier Lerma, who was published in Pravda. So he writes, the reason why Western media demonizing President Vladimir Putin 
it's not because he used to be in the KJB. It's because he is against the LGBT today. And it's because he's pro-family and because he's pro-Orthodox Christian. And it's because he's passed laws strengthening the penalties for propagating homosexuality amongst minors and for insulting people's religious convictions in public. And the so-called gay propaganda bill introduces fines for propaganda of non-traditional sexual relations to minors, including on the media, on the internet, and via viral adverts. So under Russia's law, lesbian, gay, bisexual, transvestite rallies are prohibited in Russia. And the distribution aimed at forming non-traditional sexual morality in children is forbidden. And fines and imprisonment are prescribed for the propagation of homosexuality in Russia. And the All-Russia Public Opinion Center in Russia has shown that 88% of Russians support this amendment to the law. They want to be protected from LGBTQ perversion and they want to be protected uh, from uh, abortion and from all the uh, vile blasphemies of the West. So it's an incredible irony that religious freedom is under assault by the Democratic Party in America and by the EU in Europe, while the Russian government's printing Bibles to place in hotel rooms. It's incredible reversal of fortunes that countries behind what used to be the Iron Curtain now have some of the most dynamic Christian churches and the highest percentage of church attends in Europe. Over 80% of Russians claim to be baptized members in good standing with the Russian Orthodox Church. And that's not counting the tens of millions of others in Russia who are evangelical Christians. It would appear that Western decadence, immorality, materialism, compromise, superficiality, and shallow, sensational Hollywood entertainment have been far more deadly to the church than the virulent atheist propaganda and the vicious communist persecution in the East. The church today in Russia has more evangelical born-again Christians than any other country in Europe. And Ukraine's got the second largest group of evangelical Christians in Europe, followed by Romania. And when Russians enjoy more religious freedom and more freedom of speech in public than Americans, then something's seriously wrong. And when Russians are expressing their concern about lack of freedom and spiritual discernment in America, we should be very concerned. <laughs> and uh, in fact, this verse came to my mind from 2 Chronicles 19 verse 2. Should you help the wicked and love those who hate the Lord? Because of this, the wrath of the Lord is upon you. So with Russia mobilizing its forces on the borders of Ukraine, is this just saber rattling to warn Ukraine, don't join NATO, don't allow further expansion of NATO, don't put American military bases in, in Ukraine? Uh, is it just a warning or is it actually preparation for an invasion? Well, we certainly hope it's, it's just saber rattling warning because a war in Europe uh, between Russia and NATO and, and the United States would be disastrous, ruinous. I mean, we're talking about potential for millions of lives to be lost and massive destruction to be done. And that's just conventional war. Uh, if nuclear war comes in, well, even worse. But uh, what we need to understand is, is this necessary? Is this wise? Um, who's provoking it? Um, who's initiated this? And it does seem that there's a history to this. It's hard to take seriously what Biden or Justin Trudeau or the Klaus Schwabs of the EU and so on say, take, say, it's hard to take what they say seriously when you look at the track record of treachery where the West has betrayed the Christians of Russia and the Christians of the Baltic states, Latvia, Lithuania, and Estonia, and the Christians of Ukraine in particular so horrendously for so many decades, for the last century. We've got a century of track record of treachery, of betraying Ukraine over and over, and what with 
what they suffered under the Holodomor, under the communist, under Joseph Stalin, it's understandable that the Ukrainians are very, very skeptical and, and cautious, and they have suffered a lot in the past. Must they go through any more conflicts? And it's intriguing also that uh, when West, while Western media has been drumming up, you know, war, 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 beating the drum, uh, the Ukrainian president has said, uh, look, we haven't asked for help, we don't need help, and statements by the United States and NATO is not helpful, and uh, this situation can be resolved peacefully, and please just leave us alone, which goes totally against what um, the, the West's acting. We need to move in now to protect Ukraine's borders, very people who don't want to protect Europe or America's borders. Um, so they won't protect their own borders, but they're seriously concerned for Ukraine's borders. But the Ukraine president says, this isn't helpful, this isn't necessary, um, we're not at the point of war, please just calm down, and asking the media to be more responsible. So I think this is very serious that we are in a situation uh, where the West is talking about war, and yet how many people talking about war in Ukraine know anything about the persecution of the church under the Soviets uh, from 1917 through to 1991. How many know anything about what the Versailles Treaty did in betraying Ukraine in 1918? How many know anything about what the West did in the Yalta Agreement? How many know what was in the Yalta Agreement and know about Operation Kielhor, which betrayed three million Russians, Ukrainians and other East Europeans who were in the West to be forced at bayonet point over the border into the hands of the Soviets, into the hands of the NKJV secret police of, of Stalin after the war. And this against the protests of General Patton and others, that three million Russians and Ukrainians were forced away from freedom in the name of a war that was meant to be fought for democracy into the hands of the worst dictatorship on earth so that millions died. And it was so bad that mothers were even throwing the babies into the icy waters of the Danube as they were being forced across the bridges into the hands of the NKVD to be either murdered or taken into the concentration camps of the Gulag. And so people who don't know any of this history and who don't understand what the West has done um, would be well um, served to read books like the, um, for example, the Black Book of Communism or Death by Government or see the film Bitter Harvest, which has been produced by Ukrainians in Canada, by the way, Max Irons is one of the stars in the film and uh, Terence Stamp. Uh, I, I think it would be very helpful if people would see just something of what has gone on in Ukraine and why the people in Ukraine and Russia are so suspicious and skeptical about the sincerity of the West and whether you can actually trust the West uh, on these sort of things. So there's a series of strategic realities that we need to understand and if we can understand what is going on over there, we will realize that what the media is pushing right now is they're not doing this because they care about the people in Ukraine or Russia or anyone in Europe for that matter. They're doing this to promote their Agenda 21 and their Agenda 2030. They're doing this because they want depopulation. They're doing this because they want generalized control. And if, and we pray this doesn't happen, if a major war breaks out, it will be with the intention of the globalists to bring about a global army. Because we can see that after the First World War, which globalists brought about specifically to destroy the nation states and the empires that were bringing stability to Europe, 
that they could in a vacuum create a League of Nations, which was the forerunner for the United Nations. And at the end of the Second World War, they were able to make quantum leaps forward for globalism with the European Economic Community, which turned to EU uh, with the saving of the Soviet Union, which was a primary result of the Second World War and receiving the uh, the whole building up the whole Warsaw Pact of the Soviet Union and the United Nations expansion of a globalist agenda, a globalist government in waiting, if they manage to provoke another ruinous war at this time, inevitably the goal would be, as they did after the First and Second World War, to weaken nation states and strengthen, if not abolish nation states, and strengthen globalist forces. And we know that the agenda is they're wanting to get rid of nations, borders, and national armies and replace it with a globalist army where the only ones with a monopoly on force would be a United Nations type super state where they have a globalist army and they can enforce their will on people at will, which is why there's such a push through the coronavirus pandemic, pandemic, scamdemic, lockdown lunacy, masquerade madness, salvation by vaccination, COVID cult, that what they've been doing is destroying the small businesses, the middle class, the working class, and promoting more and more urbanization to get rid of the people in the rural areas. This is, in fact, the goal of Stalin back in 1930s and Lenin back in 1920s, decoolization, to break up the farms that are self-sufficient, that were feeding not just Ukraine, but all of Europe, to break up the breadbasket of Europe, which was Ukraine, to break up the cohesive, strong kulaks, as they call them, the, the farmers of, of Ukraine, uh, to push it more urbanization and collective farms because what the globalists want, and we know this from Agenda 21 and we know this from Agenda 2030, that the United Nations, globalist, Bilderberger, Council of Foreign Relations, Illuminati, Freemason goals, their goal is more urbanization, less rural population, forcing people into cities and squalid slums where they can be easily controlled and made dependent on the state. And the COVID cult has taken it further, where people, even the cities, aren't self-sufficient and now are dependent on some kind of state assistance to survive. And this is the goal. And if a war is actually forced at this time, we pray that cooler heads prevail. But if war is forced, it will have the direct goal of taking away even a few freedoms we have left and bringing about a greater globalist tyranny. And so uh, a verse that was um, relevant to this whole crisis 2 Thessalonians 3, verse 1 to 2, I should read. And this is a call for us to pray for the Christians in Ukraine and Russia. Finally, brethren, pray for us that the word of the Lord may run swiftly and be glorified, just as it is with you, that we may be delivered from unreasonable and wicked men, for not all have faith. Back to you, Andrew. Thank you, Peter. And isn't it interesting, folks, that uh, the two countries in Europe with the biggest population of Christians are being pitted against one another, Russia and Ukraine, it's eerily reminiscent of what went on in things like the uh, First and Second World War when white countries were pitted against white countries and we saw the outcome of that. Um, one point, and I, this is a bit sketchy, Peter, but I think you brought it up and it might be enough for you to remember it. I'm sure you brought up uh, a point someone made once and it was along the lines of we don't have problems in our country because we don't have a US embassy here. Do you recall that at all? <laughs> So, yes, um, this was Jonas Savimbi. He was the head of UNITA. The, U UNITA was the Union for the Total Independence of Angola. So they were freedom fighters fighting the communists in Angola. 
John Swinby, a great freedom fighter and a, a, a man who admired a lot of American history, although he was justly suspicious of U.S. State Department. He asked a group of us at uh, a breakfast once at Jumbo, his headquarters in, in South uh, East Angola. Do you know why there hasn't been a revolution in America in the last 200 years? And we're all scratching heads. And he says, there's no American embassy in America. And of course, everyone laughs because we know how many revolutions around the world have been caused by U.S. embassies. And unfortunately, the evidence has come out. It's pretty clear in Ukraine that the U.S. embassy was a major organizing platform for the revolution in Ukraine that toppled the elected government that had been pro-Russia into an elected government that was pro-EU and uh, which also looks like a client of Hunter Biden and uh, why uh, well, you know, the corruption between the Biden family and the Ukraine is huge. And the Ukraine government that came to power has proven to be incredibly corrupt. And sadly, this is another client creation of the CIA, if the reports are to be believed. Back to you, Andrew. Thank you, Peter. And the scripture I'd like to bring up, folks, cast your minds back wherever you're listening in the world. I mean, I'm 49 years old. And I remember in the 80s, the 90s, hearing stories about uh, the Soviet Union and how, you know, you're queuing forever for food and what have you. And, uh, you know, you couldn't, if you said the wrong thing, you'd get sent to Siberia and all these different things. But look at it today. And what's the difference? Well, Peter explained the difference and we just touched on it as well. But I'm going to tell you what the Bible says in the book of Deuteronomy. Chapter 28. The Lord shall open unto thee his good treasure, the heaven to give the rain unto thy land in his season, and to bless all the work of thine hand, and thou shalt lend unto many nations, and thou shalt not borrow. And the Lord shall make thee the head and not the tail, and thou shalt be above only, and thou shalt not be beneath, if that thou hearken under the commandments unto, sorry, the commandments of the Lord thy God, which I command thee this day to observe and to do them. And thou shalt not go aside from any of the words which I command thee this day to the right hand or to the left, or go to serve, to go, sorry, after other gods to serve them. But it shall come to pass, if thou wilt not hearken unto the voice of the Lord thy God, to observe to do all his commandments and his statutes which I command thee this day, that all these curses shall come upon thee and overtake thee. So, look at what Russia was under the Tsar, and then look at what Russia turned into after the Bolshevik Revolution, and we just went into that. And now look at what the West was like in the 50s and what have you. Um, and compare it to today well obviously the big difference is is communism is atheism it's even worse it's satanism and so when uh, the uh, Russians were under the control of the Bolsheviks they were essentially serving Satan so they were getting all the curses and then they embraced Christianity and look at all the benefits they've got Peter even pointed out on a financial level they've got no debt they prosper but then you look at America that's embraced all this satanic beliefs and they've thrown God out and uh, in the West as well. You know, I've, I've said many times that the first thing that these people, the powers that should not be, had to do 
was to take Jesus Christ away from us. And they did that by taking prayer out of schools and what have you. And as they've moved more atheistic, we have suffered more in our countries. And that is, I think, the main reason the powers that should not be really want to go after Russia. Because Russia, in the same way that Germany under Hitler, when he uh, essentially banned usury, and he based the value of the currency on the work of the people, and they had a far better lifestyle, they can't have that. And so they had to go after him. Now they have to go after Putin because he's promoted Christianity. And you see, in just the 20-year period that he's been in charge, it's been just over that, how Russia has turned around. There's a great um, meme that uh, Dr. Matthew Raphael Johnson sent me, and I'll see if I can just type it in, and we'll probably use it for the show post today, if Peter agrees. It says, 15 years of Putin, how Russia changed in the 15 years since Putin came to power. And you've got 1999, the uh, GDP was 195 billion US dollars, and then it went up to... 2 trillion 113 billion in 15 years to 2015 but listen to the gdp per person 1320 us dollars up to 14800 us dollars in 15 years you know inflation was 36.5% 15 years later 6.5% national debt was 78% in 2013 it was 8% the pension in 1999 was 499 rubles in 2013 10,000 rubles so you can see how a government that follows Jesus Christ prospers over one that doesn't Peter back to you for your comments yes uh, Ma- uh, Deuteronomy 28 Leviticus 26 um, and um, Jeremiah 18 shows the blessings and the curses for a nation. When we are obedient to God's laws, there are natural blessings. And when we are disobedient to God's laws, well, there are natural curses and consequences, negative consequences. So plainly, we need to be uh, continually calling people back to the word of God. When we obey the word of God, there are natural positive blessings. What a man sows, he reaps. And uh, uh, there is no doubt that the wage of sin is death. And you can see that. So just looking at the track record, and it's all very easy to criticize, but when they've got more freedoms in Russia and when they have more Christian policies in Russia and when their churches are growing more, then we shouldn't be too quick to criticize what we don't understand. Many people are acting like the government in Russia is exactly the same as it was uh, back under Stalin and Brezhnev and Khrushchev and so on. But that's not true. Because if it was the same, They'd be being praised and supported by the mainstream media. The mainstream media has been consistently anti-Christian and consistently pro-communist and globalist. Uh, therefore, we, we should actually be able to see. Unfortunately, many people have not missed this disconnect that, that you know, they're still thinking Russia's the evil empire, Russia's a communist. Well, interestingly, though, the media always was defending Russia when it was communist. They've only been attacking Russia since it's thrown off communism and sought to embrace orthodox Christianity. So, yes, the blessings of obedience and the curse of disobedience, that should have us all on our knees because our nations are plainly in rebellion to God. And that's particularly true for the nations in Western Europe. It's particularly true for the EU. It's true for the United States. It's true for South Africa. It's true for Great Britain right now. Our nations are in sin. Our nations are in rebellion to God. And we must be very wary when 
politicians want to distract us from internal problems with a war or war talk about a country far away, which most of the citizens probably couldn't find on a map and don't know the historical context of. Back to you, Andrew. Thank you, Peter. Yes, exactly. And, and it, it's just so important. And it's funny, isn't it, how things go back to this um, all about faith. And when you look at uh, the blessings and the curses and another verse that is extremely important to me is Hosea chapter four, verse six. My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge because thou hast rejected knowledge. I will also reject thee that thou shalt be no priest to me, seeing thou hast forgotten the law of thy God, I will also forget thy children. Well, Peter talked about various books out there. There's so many books out there that um, Peter spends so much time reading. And there's so much information. When you think about these fact-checkers, I've only been fact-checked in the last sort of, you know, two, three years they've really come along, you know. But my book that I brought out that I'm best known for in the Synagogue of Satan was never fact-checked. You know, because they knew that the information contained therein was largely accurate. I'm sure that I may have made mistakes here and there, but it's been through so many publishers now. And my last publisher went through not just on a proofread, but on a fact check read to make sure that what I was saying was accurate. And I think I have one date out uh, and that was changed. But they never dispute it they just go to amazon and get them to take it down they go to lulu get them to take it down they chase it all around the world because they don't want people to hear that but they only want people to hear their lies in their mainstream media so they don't like to get into a debate with people they just like to close them down but the book's been out since 2006 and it wasn't taken off amazon until 2018 and it had over a hundred and 20 I think reviews on it average four and a half out of five when they took it down so people can't say that they haven't had the opportunity to learn this information and that's the sad thing because not just the bible which is the greatest source of information but people who aren't so interested in that but want to look at real history could have looked at something like that or far deeper and more intellectual books that Peter covers you know he referred to um Patrick Buchanan. Uh, the Black Book of Communism and Death by Government. Yeah, exactly. Well, um, I'll hand back to you now on that note, Peter, anything that you'd like to say on that, because I just feel frustrated. I can some Part of me understands that people are duped by the mainstream media, but the other part of me says, well, how come I found it out? I'm not particularly brilliant. How come I found mm. this out and put this information together and others couldn't? Your thoughts, please. Yes, sir. Uh, well, it's important to read serious books, you know, and by those, it's not the sort of things that are being promoted in New York Times <laughs> and uh, the, the, the ones that you'll see in the airport terminals as you uh, fly from one place to the other back in the days when you did fly. But getting hold of serious books like Death by Government, published in 2006 um, by Professor R.J. Rummel of the University of Hawaii, political science um, professor, 500-page book, um, and he had over 8,200 sources consolidated in 4,200 columns. He produced an appendix with 18,000 rows as a separate appendix that was published separately. Uh, one appendix table alone was 50 pages. And uh, uh, statistics of democide, sources and calculations on 20th century genocide and mass murder by governments. And so he coined the term democide uh, for mass murder by governments. And... Um, 
the black book of communism is absolutely devastating as well because in the black book of communism he's actually they are taking the uh, subtitle is crimes terror and repression it's documentation on the crimes of communism found out from their own files so this isn't somebody writing what they think it's from the communist own archives since the soviet union's files were opened in 1991 and so they were able to get in the kgb files and so on and so this is a historical record written by ex-communists, um, all six of the authors. Stefan Courtier, who's the editor, used to be the editor of the Communisme magazine of the Communist Party of France. And so uh, these, these people were um, uh, not uh, anti-communists, they were ex-communists who uh, were forced to abandon communism from what the facts produced. And they said they were, they were staggered, they were horrified when they saw uh, what the actual results were. So these are from their own records. And in Black Book of Communism, they documented just from the Soviet Union's files. Now remember, this doesn't include the files of North Korea or Vietnam or the Soviet or, or Red China because their files are still sealed. But from Russia's files and Eastern Europe, over 100 million people killed, deliberately killed, communist policies and direct action uh, in 1917 to 1991. So just in that time period of 1917 to 1991, the Soviet Union and its communist allies were for over 100 million deaths. This isn't enemies killed in battle. It is their own citizens killed by their own governments, if you want to call a communist government their own government. Um, uh, although Solzhenitsyn says they were actually a foreign government, they weren't a Russian government, they were a Bolshevik government. And uh, so, as as he said, the reason why you don't hear about this is the mass media in the West is in the hands of the perpetrators who murdered uh, 66 million Russians, most of whom were Christians. And uh, he's asking why this isn't normally taught in our universities or acknowledged in our media. So that's why books like The Black Book of Communism and Death by Government are so very important. And then I, I quote some of these other historic books that are well worthwhile from uh, commentators uh, such as the uh, Max Hastings, who uh, did the secret war, uh, analyzing uh, from the uh, archives that have now been opened up, such as on uh, the Enigma crypt uh, decryptions of GCHQ, Second World Wars, uh, all the secret files from intelligence agencies, which, as they said, requires all films and books on the Second World War to be rewritten because it's such stunning information. We did a show on that. Um, also, Patrick Buchanan's book, Churchill, Hitler, and Unnecessary War, and America a republic, not an empire. And uh, so these are, are good sources from people who know what's going on. Freedom Betrayed, written by American President Herbert Hoover, uh, exposing uh, the crimes of the uh, government of Franklin Delano Roosevelt in the Second World War and, and following and betraying so many countries uh, from freedom into communism and saving the Soviet Union. I think Herbert Hoover's book is also required reading. So these are substantial, important, documented books written by serious people based on vast amounts of facts and eyewitness testimony. Those are vastly superior to the anecdotal garbage that Hollywood and the mainstream media dish up to us on a daily basis. Back to you, Andrew. Thank you, Peter. And interestingly, I've gone to Amazon.com and bought up the Black Book of Communism and you can get it used from $48 a copy. So this is something else that they're not interested in publishing anymore. What a, what a surprise. Peter, back to you for your comments. Please give the audience your website, how they can contact you, and then we'll close out the show. Yes, well, 
as our Lord Jesus said, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. It's so important that we know the truth and, and to be able to recognize lies and disinformation, we need to be students of the Bible and of history. So if you want to contact me, my personal email is peter at frontline.org.za, peter at frontline.org.za, and our website, www.frontlinemissionsa.org, frontlinemissionsa.org. Uh, that's our website, and I'll be glad to hear from folks. And if you want documentation of these, you'll find a lot of it on our frontlinemissionsa.org website. Thank you so much, Andrew. Thank you so much, Peter. Fantastic performance, as always. And Peter will be back with us at the same time next week. Folks, you have been listening to the real story behind the Ukraine crisis. I want to thank all of you for listening. I hope you have a wonderful day. I'll be back with you all tomorrow. And until then, folks, bye for now.